Hello, you're in the Sin Bin with Cindy Nightingale, giving you a snapshot inside sports. I'm a sports photojournalist in Minnesota, bringing you conversations with coaches, athletes, and others about the trending topics and the latest news inside the sports world. Let's get started. Joining me in the Sin Bin today is Josh Levine, author, coach, trainer, and founder of the Fortis Academy. Hi, Josh. Welcome in. Thanks, Cindy. Glad to be here. Glad to have you in. I wanted to talk to you about the uh, Fortis Academy, your journey of where it started and where it is now, and a little bit about how you feel um, student athletes, other athletes, pro athletes, those that you train, what's your philosophy behind getting them to reach their best self on their athletic field and off. Great. So let's talk about when the Forest Academy was sort of just a twinkle in your eye, because I know you've always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, spirit, even when you were a little kid. So how did that get going? Um, it, uh, I think the, the seed of for the Forest Academy started in 2003, roughly, when I met a man named Jack Blatherwick. Um, and Jack, uh, for those that don't know, is sort of this eccentric trainer who w- trained the 1980 Olympic team, um, brought over a lot of innovative plyometric uh, jumps and methodologies um, from Russia uh, and used those with with ho- has been using him with hockey players since then and probably before a little bit before uh he worked in the washington capitals organization a bit and when i met him uh he uh, opened up my eyes to a whole different world of training you know generally when you think of training the traditional approach it's very weight based and uh very traditional uh movement heavy so squats and deadlifts and things like that um, and okay. he had a very different perspective. And when I started talking to him about it, he's one of those guys that as a trainer, he didn't just uh, force you to, you know, he didn't just hand you the workout and say, go. He kind of talked you through why he believed everything that we were doing made sense to do. And that resonated with me. And so right after that, that was in uh, yeah, like 2003, I started a little summer camp down at the local uh, park, Dred Scott Fields in Bloomington. And at that time, the associations had address books that were just paper address books that they'd hand to every family. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I would mail the uh, brochure out to every family in a certain age range. And that's kind of where it started. It wasn't called the Forest Academy then, but it would, I'd bike down to the Dred Scott Fields and we'd, we'd kind of run around a little bit, do some push-ups, nothing crazy. And then we'd, you know, we'd play soccer or whatever. And I think the parents loved it because it was you know, probably $2 an hour for, you know, the cheapest babysitting they could find. Um, exactly. But, but I loved it. I loved it. And then uh, eventually uh, in 2008, nine, that's when uh, the Forest Academy, the, the, the name itself was created and the business was created and we, we've been going in some form or fashion since then. Uh, four years ago is when it really started full time. That's the first time I've ever done it full time. Before then, it was just a summer internship uh, for, for myself, really, more than anything else. And then four years ago, I moved back home from Washington, D.C. and started it full time. 
Okay. How did you come up with the name Fortis Academy? Oh, that's a kind of a funny story. I was trying to, at Jefferson High School, that's where I went to high school, I was, I wanted to take Latin, and, uh, but my class schedule was full. And so I uh, went to the teacher and I said, hey, can I take this class with you? I want to learn a little bit of Latin. And um, uh, he was good doing it. Uh, ironically, the administration wouldn't let me. They said if I did it, then everyone else would want to do it. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that would ever happen. Uh, I don't think anyone else would have wanted to take a fifth class. At, you know, four classes on a block schedule. But I, so I took a, I, he gave me a textbook that I could just, okay. work, you know, kind of look at and, I never actually did much with it, except uh, when I wanted to uh, come up with a name, I really liked looking at like, you know, different uh, words in Latin and trying to find one. And Fortis is Latin for strength and bravery. Um, okay. And I thought that's a really cool name. And that's where it started. Okay. Okay. So early on, you were kind of like a little babysitting situation. Now we're full time. Uh, give me a, a kind of a, breakdown of the layers of what Fortis Academy training is like. Sure. Yeah. We, I mean, we run the, now we have a very wide offering of different types of training. Um, we do everything from small group and private training with all athletes from volleyball, to cheerleading, to hockey, to lacrosse, uh, to baseball, to basketball, okay. every athlete in every sport um, and pretty much all, all ages. Uh, as well um and okay. uh, we also do leadership training sports nutrition uh we take our philosophy and when we look at our training is the a complete athlete approach we want to help the athletes not just in their sport specifically with their in you know in-game performance but also with their nutrition also with their leadership skills um and so we've been trying to we've been trying to put together more and more a holistic training approach Rather than okay. one that's just like come into the gym and train. Okay. So you're getting into the mind, the soul, and the body of the athlete. Exactly. And I think you look at training, um, really interesting. I think uh, one of the uh, physical therapists that I work with a lot uh, and who has taught me a lot was talking about in the PT world, one of the uh, best predictors of someone who's going to recover um, from an injury and have a successful outcome from physical therapy. One of the, the biggest correlate to that is mm -hmm. their trust in the PT. So it's not the program the PT puts together necessarily because uh, okay. there's different protocols, right? Different PT right. protocols that you can do to recover from different injuries. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, obviously they have a lot of similarities, but there's, um, the biggest factor is the trust with the PT. And if you don't trust the PT, they, they can have the best program in the world and it may not work because you're not going to follow through with it at home. Right. You, you might quit early thinking it's not going to work. You mm -hmm. constantly be questioning, is this really what I should be doing, et cetera. And I think there's actually, you know, I haven't seen any research to this, but I think the same is true with training and that uh, perhaps too much. The industry has focused on, well, you know, fighting over this exercise or that uh, exercise, okay. you know, X or Y. But it's like, well, hold on. Have we developed a relationship with the athlete? Do we do we does the athlete trust you to have their best interests in mind? And if they don't have that, then it doesn't matter which exercise is better. 
um, to okay. use in this given instance. So I think the relational aspect is something that's really important for us. It's like we, everyone that's on staff, we say, you're not just a trainer. You're also a mentor right away. Okay. Um, okay. And, and our, our culture and our team, you look at our team, I think it's a really cool, diverse, um, smart team, but our, 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 like the one question we ask ourselves when bringing someone on is if this, if an athlete came to a training session, all the equipment went inert, you couldn't use it and you were stuck there for an hour. Uh, with one of our staff, you'd be a better person at the end of it, right? Okay. You, you would mm-hmm. look something, you'd be, you know, how's school going? They, they, they talk to you about some, things come up when you're in the gym, on the rink with teams, those types of issues, leadership issues, things come up. And so there's opportunities constantly to be positively impacting kids. And that's our standard, like when, when we look at bringing on staff. Okay. So you're using really those sort of down periods to really sort of connect with each athlete. And you've been doing this seriously for about four years or so, you said, because Sports Academy has really been, you know, yes. growing like gang, like gangbusters. Um, are you getting feedback from the athletes telling you that this is working so that you know that this this is working? Yeah, there's two, you know, there's two ways I think you get, uh, or a few different ways you get feedback, right? One, you get it from parents. Um, mm-hmm. We got a lot of emails or texts. Hey, thank you so much. You know, so-and-so look so much faster or stronger. Two, you get it from the athletes themselves. Um, you know, a lot of our training programs uh, tend to fill up because the athletes go talk to the other athletes and they say, this is really good training. You got to come check it out. Um, okay. We, and that's probably one of, that's probably our biggest driver of growth is athletes and parents talking to other athletes and parents and saying, Hey, come do this. But then the third, the third way that we track progress and kind of look at how our programs doing, what can we do to change them, to improve them? And because by no means do we feel satisfied with where our, uh, programming is at when we never will be right. We always want to, we always mm-hmm. take a look at it and every year we're trying to improve it, refine it, um, and understand how to implement it more effectively. But we'll, all, we do a lot of testing. So we have, uh, uh laser gates. They're accurate to a thousand as 20 meter, 20 yard dashes, 40 yard dashes. Um, we test vertical jump. We got a jump mat. Uh, we'll test some other measures like pull-ups and then we can take those and look at them over time and and that provides a good sort of more more of an objective measure right of okay how is this program working um from a purely from a from a testing standpoint in terms of are we building speed are we bringing building sprint speed for hockey players we can we bring them out on the ice and we do we test their top speed so how fast is their top velocity um you know and we can put that into we put the lasers out and we can calculate that in terms of miles per hour. Uh, we can look at the acceleration on the ice. We correlate that with off-ice measures. Um, and so that's the third way that we get feedback. Like, hey, is this, is this training actually working? Um, and it's, it's really interesting to look at that data over time. Okay. Do you – do the do, does the data also show in uh, game statistics, perhaps? Um, more scoring, uh, defensemen with uh, mm-hmm. being able to, to shut things down more. Um, does that correlate? Have you been able to track that as well? 
we have we haven't been able to track that, but I think I'm glad you brought it up because I think I mean we we know of a lot of our athletes right that go through transformative you know transformative off back into their season and they double their points or triple their points, um, okay. and and do really really well. Um, and that is ultimately uh, finding measures of improvement or in game performance is the gold standard. Um, the, the easiest sports to do that with are track and field um, mm-hmm. and things that are more, you know, golf would be an easier one because it's a, it's a, it's a purely statistical measure. Um, it's a little harder in hockey because if you look at it, the, 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 you can, you can see kids that transform really easily if they're at a level where they're going to be going and getting more points. Um, and at high school, you can see that, but at some point, a lot of players, you look at, um, you know, if they're going to go beyond that, if someone's going to go beyond high school, they're going to score points in high school. They're going to have a good amount of points. Um, okay. But a lot of athletes in team sports, think about it. I mean, think about that, even the NHL, in, any level, there's a minority of the players are getting the majority of the points. Right. So some players, um, their improvement is going to be, you know, uh, quicker feet in the corners and their plus minus should be a little bit better. But again, that's a team right. measure. Uh, Going, you know, I think that's uh, something that moving forward, we're trying to get better and better with our data management. And that's like just going, taking it to the next level of, okay, how is this reflecting in terms of in-game performance? Because ultimately, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. And this is actually, uh, this has actually been shown too, with really, if you take Olympic level athletes, um, or very elite level athletes, at some point, with like a 40 yard dash off the ice so a sprint um mm-hmm. uh, you can improve that 40 yard dash by improving arm swing mechanics knee drive mechanics just basic sprint mechanics right. that won't necessarily translate to any improvement in on ice speed correct and, and, th- and that's been shown too that happened uh, um i believe with the women's uh, olympic team they were they were sprinting uh, and they were learning how to sprint really fast, but the on ice times weren't necessarily coming down as they were expecting. Well, they're already elite, very elite athletes. And if you're just improving the mechanics of the specific exercise and not just, it's not helping the underlying athletic attribute that's needed in the sport. It's not going to, uh, it's not going to show up on the ice or on the football field or whatever. Um, so, so what is that X factor that, will translate into the results that that particular athlete or team is looking for. I, in my mind, it's mental. It's all in the head. I would agree 100% with you. I mean, I think you look at, um, you know, athletes, all athletes are training now. And uh, when I was talking to Jack a couple of years ago, Blatherwick, who I mentioned earlier, a mentor, you know, he, mm-hmm. he had done a talk to a, a division one hockey program and he was giving them some programming and they were all excited about it. Like it was going to put them up above everyone else. He said his point was, well, everyone else is training. So, I mean, even if this, you know, let's say this program is 5% better, it's not like they're not training at all. And now you have a hundred percent benefit. They're still training. And even if their methodologies are suboptimal, they're still probably getting better doing it. Right. So you, mm-hmm. it's a more of an incremental thing. Um, it, it's less impactful than sometimes we maybe like to believe, but I think the, the, from our experience, just anecdotally, 
those athletes that transform the most, that go from one season with 10 points to the next season with 35 or what have you, um, it tends to be very much mental. It tends to be something where they're gaining confidence uh, mentally and emotionally from the training. More, mm-hmm. That's like the biggest thing, right? They're just feeling so much better, so much stronger, so much faster. And then also kind of knowing a lot, you know, a lot of our athletes, if, if they want to really invest, if they're like, I'm all in, I want to invest in this off season. I have these goals, level goals. Um, we'll sit down with them. We go through everything. I mean, it's not mobility. We have physical therapists that we work with. We have sports, sports nutritionists on staff now. Okay. We're going to go through every aspect of your game of your uh, off ice or, or, you know, gym training. And we're going to look at everything. Where do you have pre-existing injuries? Okay. We're going to do some prehab modules for those. Um, okay. how's nutrition. We need to focus on that. Okay. Let's get in with the sports nutritionist. Let's do a little uh, assessment with our PTs to see if there's any injury risks that we should be trying to, uh, that we should know of and understand and see how we can prevent them or, or reduce the risk of those occurring again. Okay, you keep going through all of that. Okay, you know, in, in, in hockey, what do we want to work on the ice? We want to work on our quick release shot or one time or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But then the, then there's a really focused off-season approach. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of that work the athlete is doing outside of necessarily just our training sessions, right? They're doing it at home. Um, they're doing it at open skates, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um that's when I think you see the most transformative impact where they are, they're fully invested. There's a plan. They feel secure about that. And then that helps them mentally and emotionally know I'm putting more work in this than anyone else. I've got a team at Fortis that, you know, three or four staff members there that are all involved in helping me reach my goals. Like then they feel unstoppable. Right. And it's like, okay, I got got everything I need to do this. And that's it. I think that like you're saying, then it's mental, it's emotional, and we've seen that with athletes just even this past offseason who have made just incredible gains and in they're in sport in game performance. Okay. Again, it's me- so much of it is mental. When what is the optimum age for when this kind of transformative um, training when is it what is the optimal age for to start that kind of training? Sure. Yeah, and it's a, it, it, like you sort of the all-in approach. Like we're going to, uh-huh. we're going to go through everything. Okay. Um, generally, with most athletes, you're looking at junior, senior year of high school is when you're when you're gonna you start something that that is that intensive and that okay. well-rounded. And it, we still do that to, to some extent at the younger ages, um, but most athletes. At, you know, a seventh grader doesn't know what they what they really want to do with you know, hockey or football or basketball. They they, they may right. love it, but that's not. Yeah, that's that. It's too early, generally. Um, yeah, you're just instilling a seed, I think, at that point. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. By, by the time the athlete is a junior or senior in high school, they kind of know whether or not I want to put all this in this and I want to play on. Yes. And I I would believe at that point when you're doing all this, how do you realistically tell someone who comes to you to train that maybe they're not D1 material and maybe they should look for other places to play? 
No, that's a that's a really great question, and that's something that um, there's a there's a there's definitely a very big problem in the youth sports industry, whether it's uh, uh, skills training, you know, uh, in mm-hmm. a specific sport or in the gym, because there are and we purposefully, if you look on our website or in our marketing materials, we do not say anything like only for elite athletes, right? Or right. Yeah, you know, we we're very much about d- the democratic, egalitarian. This is an opportunity for everyone. We work with kids that sit down in our goal setting meetings, and they say, "My dream is to make JV hockey. If I can just make the JV team this year, I'm going to be happy." Um, okay. You know, and they they know they may never play varsity, but they just want one year of high school hockey at JV, and it's like, great, we're all in. What do we need to do? What do you need to work on? Okay. Um, at which is which is great, but what's happened is, it's just so easy to get a lot of people to uh, join a program if you just say, "Oh, I think we think little Johnny's going to be an all star. We we think he's yeah. elite." And so we've been very cautious about using any of that language to give the parent implicit I thought like, "Oh, this kid's really really special," um, and and ultimately. Uh, those those conversations um we've had them uh i I personally had them with parents and players of kids where it's a stretch for them as an example i've spoken with family one family where it was a stretch to ever make varsity hockey okay and so i told the kid listen you can go he he wants to make varsity hockey i said you we can go for it we can go for it we can we can invest time and resources into training but there is no guarantee and it just may not happen. Life's not fair. I mean, you can work as hard as you want. It's not the hardest worker doesn't get in. That's the, that's one of the, we have this idea that if you just work hard, you, you'll get, you'll get there. And that's just not true, especially now with how competitive high school sports are. Um, you may just not have the talent at that level. And so when, when dealing with, uh, um, uh, families where this is happening i think the biggest thing is uh, our approach has been you can go for it but it's gonna it, this is a stretch goal and ultimately okay. the journey of trying to put in this tra- you know putting in this training setting goals seeing the improvement being excited about that improvement whatever the end result is it will be beneficial to your kid long term they don't make the team then that's a really good lesson to learn up front. Like, hey, I worked my tail off and it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and if they do make the team, well, then it's like a Cinderella story. It's like, this is awesome. You, you, you're you like the underdog. You came up from nothing and you made the team. You were a Bantam C, you know, your first year of Bantams and you just made the JV hockey team. Like how that was never, no one saw that one coming. Um, right. That's a cool story too. And we have those stories. Um, so it, it, it's definitely it's a tough uh those are tough conversations to have though they're not they're not fun uh conversations that but i think they're necessary and i think as as an industry as a whole more of those we need to be having more of those conversations because too often parents are just allowed to sort of believe whatever they want about their kids talent level we gotta we have to have a little bit more of a serious conversation there with a lot of parents yeah because i i think you know especially with the with so many kids being skilled at a young age um because they focused on it 
by the time they get to high school, they put everything in one basket, and it's like, uh, that may not be your, that might not be your basket, you know? Maybe maybe there was something else. So, how do you get kids to try other things at a younger age when everybody is saying, "Oh, well, if you want to be a pro hockey player, you got to do hockey all day, every day," you know? And I, I, is that healthy? I mean. Isn't it better just to tell the kids to go play? Yeah. The um, what's happened is uh, specialization mantra. You ha- and I I hear this at the rink now, and it's just so frustrating. And I I you know I keep step in, but I've overheard parents talking, and they're saying, you know, well, if Joe takes uh, you know a month off, I mean, he's gonna lose it. He's gonna lose it a little bit. And, and here's the funny thing: Joe is nine. You know, I, yeah. I'll look out the ice. I'm like, that's a nine-year-old, and he's not going to forget how to skate. Um, no. The, the, and the, the irony is, the irony is, I, um, uh, working with a uh, pro hockey player right now, I was just talking to him about this yesterday. And uh, so the seasons and everything, right, they got canceled in mid-late uh-huh. March, okay? Mid-late March. Okay, that's generally actually, so this is kind of ironic. That's That was when everyone's season got canceled this year. Um, and generally that's when the youth hockey season is finished about mid-March with all the, you know, playoffs. Mm-hmm. And okay. He did not skate again till July. July, he skated like three times. Um, and this is very, this is, this is true almost across the board um, uh, with the professional hockey players and collegiate hockey players. Most of them take very long stretches off, completely off. I mean, they're, they're at the golf course far more than they are in the hockey rink. And they're like, they, they look at it like, yeah, why would I be skating right now? And then they think, and then I talk to them about, you know, seven-year-old Johnny and they just kind of shake their head. They're like, I would quit hockey. That's not, that's no fun. Um, and so for parents, it's very much um, trying to, sh- you know, the, the problem is the early specialization proponents find the best kids because generally they're one to older. So at seven years old, if you're born, you know, uh, earlier in the year, rather than later, you're going to be significantly older than kids born later in the year. So you're going to look better than them. Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. So you find the oldest and just the, just the most genetically, you know, talented kids. Um, and then you pull and then people think, well, that program created this kid. It's like, no, that, that's not how it works. And so it, it creates this fear of missing out because then the next tier of kids are like, well, all the best kids are, you know, skating all year or doing all this. Um, and so uh, I think ultimately the direction we're trying to go in is building in and we're working with like Jefferson Youth Hockey just was talking with them the other day about a partnership with other associations and other sports, football, baseball, soccer within the city of Bloomington to have a long-term athletic development principles embedded into each one. So for us with Jefferson Youth Hockey, we just the last two Saturdays, we brought the kids over to our facility. We had them playing soccer, doing sprints, playing uh, spike ball, doing a bunch of different activities mm-hmm. that help widen the athletic base. And it would be really great, you know, if baseball did the same thing where, you know, can you, how, how weird would it be, but how cool if you go to a baseball practice and instead of having, you know, the dad uh, get a work and grounders to, you know, one kid while 10 pick the, you know, grass and dirt, you have, yeah. you know, four of them playing some soccer. You have four of them doing grounders. 
you have four of them uh, working on pop flies and four of them working on short sprints. I mean, there's probably more kids that are on a baseball team, but you get the sense, right? Like that there's more going on long-term athletically, you know, trying to build those bases, but also sprinkle in some other sports. Why not? Uh, I think all sports should do that. Hand-eye soccer players um, at 9, 10, 11, 12. So they can actually catch a tennis ball. Um, I ultimately, I think, uh, it's going to, it's a hard battle and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how we change the hearts and minds, um, fully, but yeah, it's that, that, that's a tough one because college is expensive. Everybody wants their kid to go to college and play a sport and trying to get a scholarship. And I think with that is the, the high stake makes it tough to just let the kid develop naturally um, over time. Like, you know, back in the day when I was a kid, we just went outside and played all day. And then we went to high school. And when I was in high school and I attended Jefferson, we were winning everything. Right. You know? Yep. And it's, it's different now. You know, it's more, okay, we got to do this so that you can do this and you got to be seen doing this so that you can become the big pro athlete that we think that you can be when honestly, they probably don't have that talent. Right. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And and for a lot of these kids, I mean, some of these families, the, the amount of spending on, uh, on on training in um, exposure tournaments at nine years old, you you add it all up together. I mean, the kids would have free college. They'd have their five twenty nine college tuition plan would be more than they'd ever need for college by the time they get through youth sports. And so there's a little bit of irony there, and that yeah, the, 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 if you, if some of these families, I mean, they're spending ten fifteen thousand dollars a year in Minnesota when there's just absolutely no reason for it, um, and obviously if they invested that every year for 10 years, they would, they would have a a college scholarship for their kid. Um, But I think one of the things I tell parents is sort of like, you know, I was working this off season with a very high level athlete whose senior year didn't quite go as he expected. And Mm -hmm. um, it kind of felt like the world was falling apart for a little bit. And I was like, listen, all that matters now is that you just show up for your tryouts that are coming up and you perform. That's all. It doesn't matter what happened last year. I mean, you could have had the best senior year ever in the history of high school hockey. It wouldn't matter. You if you if you try out. Yeah. Take you. It's one of those things where we kind of get into that right. But if Crosby just couldn't score he'd get more chances than anyone else. But if he just lost his ability to play hockey, it's not like they're going to keep him. I mean, eventually they they get rid of him, right? Uh, If that were to happen. So it's the same thing with kids. It's like, okay, it doesn't matter that he dominated, you know, 12U uh, soccer or whatever, because if they Uh -uh. don't dominate at 14U, then it's all over. It just doesn't mean, it just means nothing. So. Well, Right. It doesn't mean anything. It's it, it, it might be better not to dominate and then maybe dominate later. A lot of kids are like that. Yep. A lot of, a lot of kids are uh, late bloomers. Uh, One athlete that we worked with who is now playing junior hockey will play division one hockey. I believe he probably has, he, he, he probably will have an opportunity to play at some level professionally. 
he's very much a late bloomer. And, um, you know, his sophomore year of high school, uh, when I was going through his training plan, going over, okay, what are, how are we going to do this? Talking to his mm-hmm. coach. I mean, it was a question of whether he could even play varsity hockey. He was right. too slow at the time. Uh, but he had everything else. And, and he was, a, you know, he still had that baby look. And we're like, it's big, you know, he just didn't have the muscle yet. And we're going, this kid has very good long-term potential. Well, right. sure enough, he worked his tail off. He had a pretty good junior year. And then he had an out, you know, breakout senior year, leading point getter. Uh, and now is playing in that top top tier junior hockey and will go play Division One hockey. I guarantee it. And after that, I think he'll have a really uh, actually probably have uh, uh, an opportunity to play pro. But, you know, you look at him, it's like nothing special. Um, and we have a lot of kids in our programs that are like that. You ask them where they played in Bantams, they weren't necessarily those top guys. And what yeah. ends, what's interesting is some of those top guys, it might be it might be a detriment, is, you know, they kind of, they, they might, let's say they dominate at 12U. Well, they're so used to dominating and it, it being kind of easy for them that when it starts to get really hard, which it always does, and yes. you kind of, you have to get through three or four body checks and, you know, drive to the net and get, you know, kind of get some dirty goals too. You can't just make it really nice and pretty every time. Then right. they don't like it. They, like, right. I don't like that. That doesn't feel right. Like, I just want to be able to kind of dance around and snipe. It's not going to happen anymore. When you, the higher, I always believe this, the higher up you go, you're going to run into, you know, everybody's good. So, how are you going to distinguish yourself? And that's where I think the confidence and the mental, the mental part of the game really comes into play because you can watch some athletes and they just all of a sudden get a different look on their face and now they're taking over. Yes. And it isn't because they just all of a sudden got better. It's just that they mentally confidently said, I'm going to do this. Yes. You know, Yes. And, and how you harness that to get, you know, those are the moments in athletics that make it all worthwhile. You, it's not going to happen every day, all day. No athlete is like that. Sidney Crosby is not like that. Right. Hillary Knight is not like that. But those moments when they do hit it, it's awesome to see. And for them, I'm sure it's a great feeling, you know. Yeah, there's uh, it's sort of like a, I, I call it a state of flow um, where, you know, if you most athletes, if you ask them what they feel like mentally, what were you thinking when you had that awesome game and scored five goals or whatever it is? Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, generally, the feedback is, well, I wasn't really thinking anything. I was just having fun. And I was they're in this state of flow. Everything's just kind of flowing naturally. Um, mm-hmm. And they're they're engaged but they're not uh they they're not like the x and o type thinking process which is what a lot of coaches um tend to want to like just jam into their kids is like okay you need to be here if this happens then go there like they're compute like they can computer program uh, a sport that's in, right. infinitely uh difficult and the, the possibilities are crazy right there's t- you can't program it um, uh, but I think no. that's why long-term mentally having the ability to be adaptable and resilient becomes so yes. important. Your game, you, and you, you know, plenty of these athletes, 
where they were all-star high school hockey or basketball or whatever players, and they get to college or that next step, and the next step, the game changes. It ain't the same game anymore. This game's different now. The tactical patterns change, how you score changes, where the puck Mm -hmm. touches are um, changes. uh, And I think it's like 90%. I have a, a really cool picture of a heat map of all the puck touches in the offensive zone. They're okay. almost, almost all of them are within five feet of the boards and it just wraps around the zone. Okay. Go, go watch a scored hockey game. It'll be the very opposite. All the puck touches are in the middle of the, you know, the kids that have it in the middle of the ice, they're moving around. It's a different game. And even it's not even the same game. It's not hockey. It's squirt hockey. It's a different game. I mean, we should almost have yeah. a different word for it. Um, but then having that ability to be adaptable and mentally adaptable, which is very difficult because these kids that get that self-identification as hockey players or any sport, um, they see their style of game intrinsically tied to who they are. And then you go, well, like, hey, you were a goal scorer in high school, but you're not a goal scorer in college. You're a second line uh, playmaker now. Or mm-hmm. you might need a transition to defense or from defense to forward. And then it kind of, for some, for some athletes, they don't have the resilience to go, okay, I can dominate there. You know, I can change my game. I can, I can exploit that, this game by doing it that way. So that's where like you, you got to peak, peak and they yeah, can't, they yeah. can't get over that hump. Yeah. But that's where the love of the game comes in because bottom line is, do you want to play? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you gotta, if if you're gonna have to play second, third, fourth line, you gotta, you gotta be glad that you have a spot on the team, you know, and be ready for it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of training. I think, you know, I, I like the whole complete athlete um, module model that you that you use for Forest Academy because I think it's going to benefit more kids in the future um, and more kids out there. Um, you know, even um, as you're training women, I, 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 I think this kind of holistic training is, is going to be the, it's going to be, is the future. I really believe that. We, I, we have, yeah, we have a lot of, we have a, a pretty decently sized female uh you know, college bound and college, um, currently playing college hockey group. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I love training, uh, female athletes there. Um, I joke that, that the 10 U age are basically angels. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, you go in the gym with a 10 U girls group and they, they, they're, they tend to be very attentive and very serious and listen. And then the, the then the, like the peewee boys, the 12 years will come in right after. And it's just, it's like a war zone. Um, they're running all over the place. Um, but, uh, but no, and there, and, and I think with, uh, female athletes connecting, having that relationship is so, so important. They have to trust you. I mean, they have to have that. They have to know that you're, you're there for them, um, to, to benefit from the training program. There's, I think I hear more from female athletes like, oh yeah, I was doing X, Y, Z, but you know, it, it, the coach didn't really care about me or, or whatever is, is a comment that I'll hear more frequently uh, with them. But it, I mean, that's also very, very true uh, with male athletes, but ultimately I think, right. 
uh, some a funny quote I heard from a parent um, uh, the other day was like, "I want my I don't want my kid I want my kid to peak at 40 was kind of his it, it, the comment and it, 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 joking right, but the idea yeah. is I don't want my kid's like best year to be his sophomore year playing hockey at the University of Minnesota. I mean, it, no right. does anyone want that for their kid? No, you want your kid no. to to have the uh, to build lessons over time uh, uh, values that when they get done with college and they get done playing professional sports, if that's how far they go, they have so much more that they can do. Uh, their confidence, they have self-confidence. A lot of athletes don't, which is, that's just, <laughs> you know, they're, they're so tied up in their sport that you take the sport yeah. away and there's, it's like a hollow shell now. Uh, that's no good. Like we, so our, our goal is at Fortis is mm-hmm. if we, whatever athletes we have come in, they're going to be better off, whether it's on the ice, on the football field, wherever, but so much more. So they're going to take everything they're learning here and they'll be using it the rest of their lives, which yes. that's got to be the approach. Cause otherwise it really doesn't make sense. I mean, what's the point in paying for the training? If you don't get any benefit on that end, it just doesn't, it's, it doesn't make sense. Right. No, it doesn't. Because you're trying to make not only a better athlete, but a better person and a healthy person. And that is only going to, you know, when when they decide to have kids, they're going to give them that same uh, mental mentality that they got when they were coming up. And you want to make good citizens. I think that's important. Yes. Yep. And yeah, and I, in this day and age, I mean, you can see there's a, I read a really good article on uh, play, you know, talking about with really, with little kids and the importance of, and I never thought of it this way, but I have a, I have a, a two and four year old, soon to be three and five. And um, then I started kind of watching for it a little bit. And with COVID right now, it's very difficult to see it as much. But when you go mm-hmm. to the park with your kid as a five-year-old, there's so many of these little instances that come up. Who's going to go down the slide first? Who's going to, you know, who's playing with yeah. who? If you want to play with someone, you can't be mean to them because then they're just going to leave. You know, they just, they walk away. So you kind of have to learn, okay, well, if I do want to play with someone, I'm going to have to give and take a little bit here. You know, certainly yeah. looking at our uh, atmosphere today. Okay. I think maybe we needed some more play or something because the conflict resolution skills are, Definitely not an A plus. Um, I mean, we can well, use a little more of this. Yeah, but I, I mean, and, and not just at three and five, but even a little bit older. Yeah, kids. You know, we all are competitive. It's just part of our G, our DNA. But how you learn to deal with the give and take is that's a lesson that you're going to learn that you learn that you will relate to your life all the way through. Whether it's your business, your job, you know, your marriage, whatever. Yes, I, I, um, so this is a, I, I love talking about this. We do, we'll have to talk another time about all the leadership programming and character development that we can do in youth sports. But, uh, here's just a kind of interesting story for you. I was coaching a peewee group, um, and a kid, and this is very typical. Uh, one kid was kind of taking cheap shots, you know, tripping a kid here hooking mm-hmm. a kid there, getting a little too, using a stick too much. And uh, three of the kids, after a while, 
little 3v3 game. Uh, three of them came up to me and they're like, I forget the kid's name. He's like, you know, whatever. Joey's, you know, Joey's being in a cheap shot. And I looked at him. I said, okay, well, what do you do about it? I mean, mm-hmm. have you said anything? All, if all three of you go up to him and say, hey, knock it off. You know, the percentage likelihood that he stops. It's really high. Um, yeah. Like you need to step up and lead here. Like you're, I know they're 12, but that's plenty. Old. You're plenty old to figure this out. Now, as a coach, I'm there to help facilitate this. I'm there in mm-hmm. case that goes south. And I can, I any time. So I'm not saying you just let the kids go haywire and it's like law of the jungle here, but it's, you're, you, we need to give kids more opportunities to self our So often the adult jumps in right away. That was unfair you know, blah, 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 right. I'm going to make it right. right, where instead of letting the kids learn how to make that right, because ultimately, if the coach does step in, that kid will be cheap shot in three days later, or at summer practice, with a different coach, you have to learn right. how to get that to solve that problem to be solved more on its own. Yeah, and I, to- I totally agree with you. I mean, that's how leaders are built. They learn to, you have to, as adults, we have to learn to step back and let these kids learn how to do things, you know? Yeah. And how many times, I mean, I know just even in business, um, when I was, when I was working in the federal government where someone does something that's, you know, in the perfect world uh, or wasn't, is not the best, uh, approach or what have you. You, you. And you can't, you can't just like go off the rails then on them. You, you, you have to have a little bit of sense of, okay, is this a battle worth fighting? Yes or no? Yeah. A lot of times, sometimes it's no. That, sometimes it's not. And sometimes it is, but that's like the tough part is knowing, am I, should I be stepping in here? Or do I need to learn how to take some hits and just let it go too? So right. Um, right. That's, a, that's a valuable skill as well, I think. Yeah. Well. Oh. This has just been an awesome talk. I just really uh, wanted to um, talk to you about uh, the Forest Academy and uh, what you've been doing since you've been out of uh, uh, hockey yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you miss playing hockey? Uh, I do. Um, Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I'm on the ice so much which is fun. I, so I get my fix, but uh, especially now with like our junior and pro guys, when they're out on the ice, it's hard for me not to want to jump in and play, but I'm sure. Um, and, and girls, I mean, they, we have a, they all skate together. Uh, some girls at that level a lot when we do individual skills and it's, I just, it's so much fun to watch. I do miss it, yeah. but um, yeah. I'm glad I'm still involved in some way. Yes. I, I am glad Thank you for listening to The Sin Bin. I'm your host, Cindy Nightingale. Please subscribe to listen to future episodes.